Right. So I'm going to read from Acts 5.17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, and as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of the Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officer did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guards and the chief priest were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and went to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put aside outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas of Gal the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the, pre in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in, had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for, his, for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Amen. Morning. It's great to uh, see everyone today. I... Um... I was thinking about this passage over the last couple of weeks, and one of the first things that came to my mind was just the dogged determination of 
this group of followers of Jesus to keep speaking about him. They get in trouble, they go to jail, come out, speak about him. They're speaking about him beforehand. They get, uh, come out of jail, they do the same. They get, go back in, they have to give an account for stuff. And they're beaten and told not to do it and just carry on with it. It reminds me of being a kid when my mum would tell me not to do something. And you just carry on anyway and you get whacked. And then you carry on again and you get whacked again and you kind of get in that cycle of stuff. And that's the kind of stubborn determination to preach the good news that we see here. I've been um, as well just thinking in these last couple of weeks about the fact that what an honour and privilege it is to be able to share good news with people. Isn't it incredible? That's why I wanted Di to share today, because she has an enthusiasm about sharing good news, which is infectious. If you're around her, you find yourself getting talked into new outreach ideas and, oh, you've got to meet this person, and if you go to Chris Street Market with her, you better have spare time because she's going to keep bumping into people. And... Um, and, and she wants to tell people about Jesus. And I, we need something of that in our lives. We really do need to be people who are anxious in a good sense to share the good news with others. People who look for opportunities. People who realize the privilege we have that we have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with others. I've been thinking this week uh, about the persecuted church as well. I don't know if anybody else saw, uh, I think 10 days ago or something, the uh, Open Doors released their World Watch list. Anybody, I guess most people here are probably familiar with that. I know the kids in Sunday school last year were going through it. And I think Hannah's all, uh, ordering some new materials as well. Because we want to teach our kids what a privilege it is to be able to share the good news with others. And that World Watch list, it talks about all the places where people suffer and are persecuted for being followers of Jesus. And brothers and sisters, we need to know what a privilege it is to get to share good news, but also the heavy price that many others have to pay for that privilege. This year's World Watch uh, list says that over 360 million Christians around the world experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. That's incredible, isn't it? That's something like one in seven of all people who would call themselves Christians face high levels of persecution and difficulty. And I think it's really, really important right at the start to say Christians in Britain don't face persecution. We have to put up with a bit of social awkwardness from people. We have to put up sometimes with a bit of pushback. But in real terms, we don't face that kind of persecution. And actually, it does a disservice to our brothers and sisters if we term what we face as that. A little bit of cultural opposition isn't persecution. And I want you during the week, please go to the Open Doors website, check it out, think about it, have a look at, they produce a list of the 50 countries where believers suffer the most. And uh, some of the places, some of the people in this room 
come from countries where that is true. Some of our mission projects are based in places like that. And as we look at this passage, I want us to realize that we have not just the example of Scripture, but we have the living example of brothers and sisters around the world who, like the uh, disciples here, keep speaking up and refuse to shut up. So we're going to look at how the apostles were detained, how they were delivered, how they were discussed, but also how they were determined. And I want us to just catch a hold of something there. We see the context of this is the gospel is beginning to impact the city. People's lives are beginning to be changed. Dramatic events are happening. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. People begin to prophesy. Miracles are happening. At the start of this chapter, Ananias and Sapphira drop down dead because they lie to God. It's kind of intense. And yet in the midst of it, people see something and they see the miraculous. And I just the city is being turned around. And that's what the good news of Jesus does. It creates a response. It creates a reaction. You know, somebody once said to me years ago about preaching, make them glad or make them mad, but don't leave them as you found them. And I like that because it kind of sums up the gospel. We're either going to respond with joy or we're going to get offended at it. But actually, if we preach the gospel right, it shouldn't just leave us apathetic. And the city was being touched. People's lives were being changed to the point we read that the religious leaders and the political leaders are together. And they're discussing what's happening and they're feeling threatened. They're feeling threatened because their sense of place, their sense of their position is under threat because the power of God has come. And they want to use their influence to basically cover their own butts and protect themselves. And I was just thinking, you know, all of us here have elements of influence in our lives. There are, there are responsibilities that we have. There are relationships we are involved with. And I just want to ask you, what are you using your influence in this world for? Are you using it for the sake of God's kingdom or is it just for self? What do we use the influence we have for. Is it for self? You know, some of us, you know, God is going to give you enormous places of responsibility in life or resources. And I just want to ask you, is it about yourself or are we prepared to use our resources and our influence for God's kingdom? And what happens here, what's exposed is that these religious leaders, rather than rejoicing at what God is doing, they get Upset, They begin to, uh, to, to persecute the apostles. I love this picture that we have of the New Testament church. A strong sense of community between them. But it wasn't a, a, a hidden away community. It was a community that was out there. 
They were a community within the community, a witnessing community, a community of, uh, of healing, a community of restoration, a community of action, not locked away, but sharing the good news. And you know, there's nothing orthodox about a Christian faith that believes the right things but does nothing with it. We are not faithful followers of Jesus if we merely believe the right things. But actually, the thing we've been called to do is to go and make disciples. And that's so important because in so many places, we measure people's spiritual maturity by how much stuff they have in their head. But actually, what's our faithfulness like? Are we obediently making disciples? Because that's what we've been called to do. And I really want to challenge us. Learning is great. Theological knowledge is important. But we're called to grow up, to go and to share good news, to make disciples. We're called to mature, to be productive, to do what? To make disciples, not just to sit around. And the church of Jesus is a place of action. And we see here they were detained because they were doing what Jesus called them to. And brothers and sisters, in so many places in this world, our faithful brothers and sisters are preaching the gospel even when prohibited. One of the most remarkable times in my life was sitting and uh, Annie and I were in a country in the Middle East and we sat in a missions conference as a church there brought their missionaries back through from loads of restricted uh, Muslim countries and I sat with my jaw dropping hearing from brothers and sisters planting churches in countries where people would come to Christ and very often people were dying for their faith. And it broke me. It made me realize, guys, what are we doing with what we have? What are we doing? What are we doing in this cultural moment we face now where you know, our world is, is kind of spinning around, not knowing which way to turn, coming out of lockdown, going back in, coming out, do the okie-cokie. And you know what? Their lives are broken. There's pain. And in so many places, the church is hiding. Brothers and sisters, this is our time, our moment to be and to share good news. They were detained for being faithful. But also they were delivered by a faithful God. They were detained for being faithful, but point two, they were delivered Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. They were faithful to do what God had told them to do. They were put into prison for it. Not because they lacked faith. They were put into prison because the Lord found them worthy of suffering for his sake. Friends, when we face opposition and difficulty, and and it does come, you know, we are not promised a life free of troubles. You know, we're not, you're not promised your best life now. 
actually we are promised some hardships. We're promised great joy. We're promised that we will enjoy the fellowship of brothers and sisters, new life, new families, new, new hope, but we are also promised difficulties. And there's a time to suffer for the gospel. But these guys, God in this instant delivered them. And it's interesting, it's not always the case. We see in scripture, you know, some of those same people, Stephen, for example, may have been with them that day. We don't know. But others who, who faithfully may have seen God do something at other times died for their faith. But here in this instance, God delivered them. There's a time to suffer for Jesus, but also there's times when we experience God breaking through. And, you know, I, it, it's a weird thing like that. Sometimes we go through a hard time and God steps in and changes things. Other times we go through a hard time and you've got to just keep on pushing through. I remember when Annie was diagnosed with cancer right at the start and God spoke to us and God spoke to Annie really clearly and just said, this is even before the doctors had diagnosed it and said, this is cancer and I'm going to deliver you through it, not round it. You're going to go through it. And that helped us. That sense of this is what God is saying to us. And sometimes it's a deliverance from and sometimes it's a deliverance through. And sometimes it may mean the end of our lives. But God is present. What happens when the church suffers? Well, globally, and it's one of the privileges of some of what I do in mission, is seeing faithful brothers and sisters who get up and keep sharing Jesus. They get up and they come out and they get detained and then they go and share Jesus again. We need to realize and to celebrate what our brothers and sisters do but also to imitate them and to be determined in our sharing of the gospel. I love the idea here that Jesus, it's, um, that they're set free. Verse 20, go stand in the temple courts and tell people all about this new life. I see a picture in there. Jesus setting them free. Why? To go and tell others. That's a picture of the Christian life. I don't know if it's the intended meaning, but I see that picture in there. Set free. Why? Set free to tell others. Think about your life. Think about, and it's what Di was saying, to you, saying earlier, allow people into the difficulty of our lives so that we get to talk to them about Jesus. There's a real challenge there, isn't there? To let people up close. You know, Isaiah 58, where it talks about spend yourself on behalf of the hungry. And he always reminds me that Luther in the German translation, he says, um, let the hungry find your heart. And I love that because there's something in that that just feels a bit more costly. To spend yourself, you know, help someone is one thing. But to let them find your heart. 
And I believe Di brought us a, a powerful uh, reminder of the pain, but also the great joy that there can be in allowing people into the, the tough moments of our life. Set free. We've been set free from sin and death. Why? So that we can tell others about this new life. I want to encourage you. Take time. Take every opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. Verse 28. What they're accused of is filling Jerusalem with your teaching. Wouldn't it be so neat if we all got hauled up before Tower Hamlets Council at some point for filling Tower Hamlets with your teaching? Wouldn't it be good if the church were guilty again of filling the city with the proclamation of Christ? We, I just, I read these words and I long for us to be a church that wants to make Jesus known. How are we doing like that? The full force of the Jewish legal authorities came against them, fulfilling the city with the teaching of Jesus. There's a cost to pay, but very often we may not have to pay it because we've opted out. We've kind of jumped the shark. You know, and I, I want to encourage us. Let's be people who actually make the most of the opportunities that we have. I think I've spoken to you before, and in fact, he, you've probably heard him speak if you came to one of our prayer meetings a few years back from one of our Bengali brothers in India who uh, took the opportunity to be able to go and to share about Jesus in the mosque in India, in, in, uh, near to Calcutta. And um, as he was, they invited him to come and talk about Jesus. But during the middle of it, a group of people got really upset and they rushed to the front and started beating him. And it was this huge pylon and he was really quite badly hurt. But fortunately, the people who had asked him to come and speak in, in the mosque and tell others about Jesus rescued him. They apologized. They felt really bad about it. And... Um, the incredible thing is that this same guy, I said to him, so what happened? He said, well, so many people wanted to say sorry that this had happened that they all came to my house a couple of days later. I said, what did you do? He said, I told them about Jesus. <laughs> and, he just, and he just went back. And I was like, dude, you were... <laughs> and he was properly beaten up. And it just reminds me, this is what the church of Jesus can and at times maybe should be. They didn't look to defend their own position, but to preach Jesus. They didn't look to get involved in a culture war. They didn't look to just seek to influence a society. They looked to preach Jesus. And as we see their explanation, as they're hauled back into prison, verse 28, their explanation is we have to obey God more than the government. Now, please understand that doesn't give us the room to, to think that whatever rules we don't like, 
we get to break. I don't believe the government should tax me, so I'm just going to squirrel some money away. No, no, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean we get to pick and choose which laws we follow. But it's where clearly when the state basically intervenes and prevents us from doing what God has called us to, then there is a place for uh, conscientious objection. There is a place for Christians to speak out and even to refuse to obey rules. There's a place for Christian civil disobedience even. But here, this is about the proclamation of Jesus. They were witnesses. As they speak to the Jewish authorities, we see that they say that they are witnesses. They saw what had happened, but they also were ready to speak it. They weren't silent witnesses, but they were witnesses who spoke up and refused to stay quiet. You know, and you've probably heard me say this before, our faith is personal, but it's never private. Our faith should be personal, it's real, it's grounded, we believe, but it's not private. We've been instructed to go and share good news with others. What's your response to the good news of Jesus? If you're here and you've been coming along to a church for a little while, hearing more about Jesus, I want to ask you, what's your response? What are you going to do about what you've heard? The apostles here had believed it had changed their lives and they'd committed their lives to going and making disciples. And friends, there's a response to God that touches our lives where we believe, but we don't just believe. We embrace the call of Jesus to go and to make disciples. They had a boldness. And I think that's the one thing, you know, in in Pentecostal circles, sometimes you have this silly discussion about is speaking in tongues the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit and it can go around and round. but do you know what I think the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is and we see consistently in the Bible it's boldness when the Spirit came upon people it made them bold. he made them bold it doesn't mean they're brash it doesn't mean suddenly they're all extroverts but there was a courage and a boldness to witness I want to encourage you, be determined. Don't give up. It's, we see that they're hauled back into prison. Verses 34 and 37 through to 37 show this discussion that happens as they're, uh, not only are they re-detained, but they're discussed. The religious authorities begin to talk about them and they begin to talk about what should we do about them. And it made me realize sometimes when God changes our lives, we're discussed by people, aren't we? Maybe some of your friends thought, I never would have imagined you joining a religious crew. I would never have imagined. Maybe you never imagined yourself in church on a Sunday. And your friends look at you and they think, where did that come from? 
Maybe they say, I can't believe that so-and-so won't come with us and do what they used to do. Why? Because people like to talk, don't they? People like to talk. People like a good old gossip. And when stuff's happening, people want to talk about it. And in this instance, they discussed what should do. And it's interesting. One from amongst their number, Gamaliel, gets up and he says, you have to be careful about opposing God. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it? And he says, basically, if what they are teaching is from God, then why are you fighting against it? You know, and, and I guess it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? The idea that people who claim to follow Jesus, that we can claim to be servants of God, that we can end up fighting God. But if we're real about it, in our lives, there are ways that we end up, all of us, opposing God at times, don't we? And it just... You know, I think it's interesting. We're looking at Jonah, aren't we? And a prophet that decided to run. And there is a point. You know, Paul, when he was converted, you know, God has to knock him out of his pride, knock him off his horse, and say, Paul, why are you opposing me? And I just... There's some of you here, I think, God... You've been looking at the gospel. You've been looking at it, what it is to follow Jesus. And I just want to encourage you, at some point, give up struggling and start believing. Start believing. Some of us here just feel like God is at work in your life and you've been running. And it's time to believe. They're disgusted. But then lastly, the apostles are determined. They're determined says verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day by day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They'd been flogged. They had been beaten. They had been commanded to shut up, but they refused to. They were ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus. Do you know there's a, a, a very subtle shadow of that, that this world, our culture and our society wants the church to do good works. They love our food banks. They love our homeless night shelters. They love debt centers. But they want us to do that and shut up about Jesus. And brothers and sisters, our task is to do those two things together. To love and serve generously. But to give also, and as 1 Peter, again, which speaks into a persecuted church. To be re ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. In other words, yes, loving, let's serve. And it's really interesting in, in 1 Peter, we see this idea of a people that are called to proclaim the marvelous deeds of him who called them out of darkness and into light. They're called to bless and to serve, but also called to follow the example of Jesus in his suffering. 
And in the midst of that, to give an explanation for the hope that they have. The, the, the New Testament writers never write to the churches under difficulty and tell them just to shut up. They say, and it's really interesting. Peter says, engage with people with gentleness and respect. To engage patiently. To be aware of the world around us, what it thinks about us. But to live as a transformed community who love and serve others. And in so doing, also proclaim Jesus. One of the big problems we have is that in our nation, so much of the time, we just fall for this narrative that we should just do good works. We have a great gospel and good works which go hand in hand. Brothers, let's not chop off one hand. Sisters, let's not speak but not do good works. Let's not do good works but not speak. We are called together to do both of those things. Rejoicing because they were counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. That's a remarkable response, isn't it? That's a remarkable response. I once heard a church planter in a very, very closed and restricted Muslim nation talking about some of his sufferings. He talked about his best friend who'd been brutally murdered for converting from Islam and following Jesus. And I didn't hear bitterness. What I heard was a man whose life was sold out to God, who was broken, emotionally scarred, physically scarred, but in love with Jesus. This week, I want to just ask you, what's our response? Are we going to take advantage of the freedoms that we have and share good news with others? Are we going to make the most of every opportunity? You know, sometimes you find a great goal scorer who can finish an opportunity. And then you find, I'm sorry we're going there, Mohammed Salah. <laughs> he creates an opportunity and then finishes it. And some of us, we're like the goal hanger waiting for the cross in. Brothers and sisters, let's create some opportunities. Yes, that's God's work and I understand that. But do you know what? Let's you know, put some stuff out there. Someone said, you know, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. But the evangelist said you can put salt in his oats and make him thirsty. <laughs> Whose oats are you chucking salt into this week? Whose oats are you basically going to just chuck out that little bit, that provocative in a good sense? So that the questions that come give you the opportunity to give a reason for the hope, a defense, an explanation of the hope that you have. So I want to ask you, look for opportunities, create some opportunities. And also just carve out, why don't we all try and carve out five minutes each day this week to pray for the persecuted church. Go on the Open Doors website. There's other organizations too, but go on the Open Doors website, find out some of the stories of believers. Inform yourself 
And just take five minutes each day this week to pray for our brothers and sisters who face real opposition, the likes of which we do not know. Let's just, we're going to pray. Father, Lord, we want to thank you for the opportunities that we do have. Lord, I want to thank you that we get the privilege to share Jesus with others. I want to thank you for the responsibility and also the privilege we have. Father, I pray this week that we would make the most of every opportunity. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be able to carve out opportunities, to be able to be provocative in our questions. Lord, I pray in that sense for um, that kind of subversive witness. Father, help us not just to answer people's questions, but to be ready to even question their answers, Lord God. To be able to challenge the wrong assumptions that people base their lives on. Lord, I pray that we would be a community that subverts this community in the very best possible way, but also one that does that with gentleness and respect. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't suffer just because we're bullish, but Lord, instead that you would help us to make the most of every opportunity. Holy Spirit, we pray, come and fill us. Fill us, God. We're not doing it in our own strength. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd come right now and pour out and through and over each one of us. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.